0: I want to try and address why the foundational prayer of the church is simply come Holy Spirit. Why every single Sunday do we create space to say come Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit. The church was birthed at Pentecost, which means the foundational prayer of the church is come, Holy Spirit. Let me start with the story. A friend of mine called me once to share a story, a kind of supernatural story that had broken out in their community. Basically, there was a girl called Rihanna who was part of the church. She'd been diagnosed with cancer in her back, and the cancer had been deteriorating. Anyway, one evening, She had this dream, and in this dream, God told her to go to Wesley Owen. You won't have heard of Wesley Owen, probably. It's a Christian bookshop. Um, Go to Wesley Owen to buy a Bible... Um, in the front page of the Bible to write the name James B to wrap up the Bible as a present and to carry it around in her bag until she was prompted to give it to someone. That was the dream. So Rihanna phoned up my friend, one of the pastors of the church, and said I had this crazy dream but the level of detail was nuts and I'm wondering like what to do with it. So my pastor friend basically said well you got two options. Either the dream was a reflection of just having a couple of glasses of wine, maybe a bit too much cheese the night before, can't rule that out, but it might be be God. And if it's God, the best thing you can do is just like do everything you were commanded in the dream. So Rihanna was like, okay, I'm going to do it. So she went to Wesley O and it was still in business back then. She went and she bought the Bible. She purchased the Bible. Front page wrote James B, wrapped it up as a present, put it in her bag. And for the next few weeks, she was just carrying it around with her. So park that part of the story. Anyway, a few weeks later, um, she had a a meeting to to go and see a specialist consultant to look at how the cancer had been deteriorating. She went with her doctor, Dr. Patel, and she was visiting this specialist consultant, Dr. Bradshaw, and they did a day of tests, and at the end of a day of tests, they sit down as a three, and Dr. Bradshaw says, look, Rihanna, we've done the tests um, to check the advance of the cancer. Um, the, The results didn't make any sense, so we've done the tests again. We still don't understand understand the results but the good news is is there is no trace of cancer in your body now Rihanna was very very excited very emotional and she responds like I can explain it to you my church we've been praying for healing I believe God has healed me of this cancer now at that point Dr. Patel chips in he's like brilliant I'm a Christian too we've been praying for people at our church and we've seen some healings this is amazing they're having a little moment together Dr. Bradshaw chips in and says, I'm definitely not a Christian. Um, But a a month or two ago, something like this happened where the cancer had gone and the response was the same. I think God's healed me. And I drove home that day and I basically said, God, I don't believe in you. But if this happens again, you've got my attention. Right. Now, at that point, brainwave, Rihanna says to Dr. Bradshaw, Dr. Bradshaw, what's your first name? And he says, yeah, my name's James, James Bradshaw. He says, I've got a present for you. Tells the story of the dream, pulls out the Bible. He opens it up, front page, it says James B. Now, that's a pretty incredible story. I was expecting a greater response than that one. (laughs) There we go. That was the response I was hoping for. Now, if you were to place that story in the Gospels, you'd be like, yeah, it fits. Jesus was doing crazy signs and wonders left, right and center would fit. If you were to put that story in the book of Acts, the story of the early church, you'd be like, yeah, it fits. Because Peter, Paul, the apostles, they were doing some crazy stuff, supernatural signs and wonders. If you were to place that story in your life or in my life, you would say it was out of the ordinary. That those stories are pretty rare. The reason we regularly say we are contending for a move of the Spirit at this time is when the Spirit begins to move, those stories are less rare. They might not happen every single day, but they are less rare. Which is why we as a church consistently want to say, Come Holy Spirit. When we say, Come Holy Spirit, what do you have expectation for? Because the Lord responds to spiritual hunger. If you expect nothing, you might get nothing. But if you expect the Lord to move, you might see a greater measure of his activity. What should we expect when we say come Holy Spirit? I wanna name three things, always three things. that firstly, the Spirit awakens us to the person of Christ. Paul says it's only by the Spirit we say Jesus is Lord. So that moment when you come to faith, it's because the Spirit has been at work. Paul also says that it's by the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. In other words, we recognize that we're part of the family of God and his love for us defines us. This is the Spirit awakening our faith. We should expect that. Secondly, when the Spirit moves, He Forms us into the likeness of Christ. And therefore, the fruit of the Spirit is more evident love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self control. We see more of that in our lives when the Spirit moves. I love what Jay Pathak said. He basically said, Apple trees don't produce apples by striving. Like, apples. It doesn't happen like that. If there is good soil, and a lot of rain, there will be apples. There is an effort that we put into our faith, curating the soil of our hearts, being receptive to the spirit. And when the spirit moves, we become more loving and joyful and peaceful and patient. No one becomes more peaceful by like, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. You become more anxious through striving But when you welcome the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit begins to emerge in our lives. Thirdly, the Spirit empowers us to participate in the ministry of Christ. In other words, we have the gifts of the Spirit so we can participate in the ministry of Jesus. We're briefly going to unpack these three. Firstly then, the Spirit awakens us to the person of Christ and awakens us to life itself. So when at home you're on your own and you say the creed, I know that never ever happens. um, (laughs) When we gather and we say the creed, that rarely ever happens either. But when we say the creeds, celebrating the central doctrines of our faith, this is what we say about the Spirit. Can we read it together? We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. Here's the key thing we say about the Spirit. He gives life. If you want more life, it would make sense that you consistently pray, come Holy Spirit. This isn't for the crazy charismatics. This is for anyone hungry for spiritual life. This phrase, the giver of life, is a summary of the central teaching of the New Testament about the spirit. So look at John, John chapter 6. The spirit gives life. Then listen to Paul in Romans 8. The spirit gives life. The mind governed by the spirit is life. The spirit gives life. In another letter, Corinthians, the spirit gives life. Galatians, whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap. Life, eternal life, as she says. But yeah, life. The Spirit gives life. This is also a summary of the narrative of Scripture. So let's go back to the creation story. This is how humanity came to life. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. The Hebrew word ruach. You have to engage the the phlegm at the back of your throat to pronounce it correctly. Um, That word can be translated spirit or breath. In other words, God breathed into humanity the spirit of life. And humanity came alive. That's the beginning of our story. Now, decreation is created order that is unraveled through sin, turning away from God. And what happens when we turn away from God is we lose the breath of God within us. We begin to expire and spiritually die. This is what the prophets consistently say to the nation of Israel. You've turned your back on God. You're losing his breath. You're journeying towards death. And the psalmist echoes that. He says, the idols of the nations are silver and gold. They're made by human hands. This is what was happening in the ancient world. Idolatry looked a bit different. They would build a statue and then bow down to it, put their hope in it. So these statues, they have mouths, little cute mouths carved in But they can't speak. They've got eyes, little cute eyes carved in, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. So when you bow down and cry for help, they hear nothing of your cries. And here's the key thing. Nor is there breath in their mouths. And those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. In other words, when you bow down to these idols, whether it be a little statue or money, sex, power, success in the workplace, and you try and find healing and salvation through these idols, you're going to spiritually begin to die. The breath of God will begin to leave. So fast forward There was a prophecy, Ezekiel 37. The nation of Israel did turn away from God. They ended up in exile, spiritually dying. And then Ezekiel has this vision when they're in exile of Israel like a valley of dry bones. And then God dares Ezekiel. See the the valley. I dare you prophesy over the dry bones. Go on. Give it a shot. This is the message translation. Go on. Why did not you prophesy and say, "May breath. Ruach spirit enter you and may you come to life. And in this vision, the dry bones receive the breath of God and they come to life. They stand on their feet, a vast army. It's an amazing prophetic image. Now, After that image, that becomes the great cry of the people. Lord, you've promised that you're going to breathe upon us once more. Would you do it? Would you do it? Fast forward to the time of Jesus. This is one of the resurrection accounts. He's died. He's risen. He appears to the disciples and he says, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Breathed on them, Greek word, better translated, breathed into them. Emphuseo. Let's set together. Emphuseo, breathed into them. It's an incredibly rare Greek word, only used once in the entirety of the New Testament. Used a handful of times in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Can you guess where? Gent. Very good. Very good. I don't know who that was. Um, I've just stood on one of Ivy's um, blueberries. That's absolutely disgusting. <laughs> Never preach and bear free. Genesis, emphousio, God breathes into Adam and Eve. Ezekiel's another account. As God, emphousio, breathes into the dry bones, they come alive. And what's Jesus doing here? Emphousio, breathes into the disciples, Right. I don't know if you've ever given mouth to mouth, not talking about on a date, but it's part of CPR. <laughs> if you've ever done first day training, what you do is, is, is you tilt the, the head back a bit, you pinch the nose, and then you emfuseo, yeah? You breathe in like that. Um, you breathe in and then you pump on the chest and then you breathe in. What's happening in that moment? And the answer is that person is living off your breath until they can breathe for themselves. Now, my wife and my kids would basically say, there is no chance, dad, anything living off your breath. You're more likely to kill someone than bring them back to life, particularly with your morning breath, right? But that's essentially an image of what's happening. Is Jesus is breathing into his followers and saying, I want you to live off the breath of God, the spirit of God. I want the spirit of God coursing through your veins and the same spirit that animated and energized my ministry. I want it to animate and energize your life. What does that life look like? It looks like healing. And liberation and transformation, restoration, redemption. That's why at Pentecost, as God enfuseo, breathes into his people, all this stuff begins to break out. So he awakens us to the person of Christ, introduces us to the life of the Spirit, life in its fullness. Secondly, he forms us into the likeness of Jesus. And we begin to see the character of Christ multiplied in our beings. So listen to this text, John 14. This is part of a key passage of Jesus teaching about the Spirit. And he says, if you love me, keep my commands and I'll ask the Father. He'll give you another advocate. To help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I want to zoom in on a little phrase here. Um, the language Jesus uses to talk about the spirit. Greek word or two words. Allos parakletos. Very exciting. Allos parakletos. What does allos mean? Allos means another, another, right? There there are two Greek words for another. There is allos, which means the same and of the same kind. And heteros means the same, but of a different kind, okay? I'm going to illustrate this. This is a chocolate bar, right? One of my favorites, a little kinder number. So that is a chocolate bar. Here is a heteros chocolate bar, another chocolate bar, but of a different kind. Who likes heteros chocolate bars? Yes, only one person. It is yours. Okay, so that was the first chocolate bar. Who likes an Alos chocolate bar? Another of the same kind. The guy right at the back does. Catches win matches. Round of applause. If you missed that on the live stream, a remarkable diving catch. It it wasn't diving. And, And Benj... There you go. Okay, so Alos means another of the same kind. This this is Trinitarian theology, right? You've got to imagine the first disciples, they're fierce monotheists. They believe in one God. And as they encounter Jesus, something's going on. We're like, we're recognizing that the fullness of Deity, the fullness of divinity is present to us in the person of Jesus. And you can see some of the disciples wrestling to articulate this seismic shift in their understanding. Paul says he, Jesus, he's the image of the invisible God. He also says elsewhere that the fullness of deity lives in bodily form in Jesus. So suddenly one God as father, one God as Spirit, uh, as son. And then Jesus says, I'm sending you an allos paracletos. Another one just like me. And as the Spirit is poured out, they're like, now that the Spirit is with us, it's like the presence of Jesus is with us whilst he's bodily absent. And they begin to move towards Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Can you recognize the incredible shift that's taking place? Allos, one just like me. What about the word parakletos? The Greek word means to come alongside to come alongside in the Mediterranean. Who's going on holiday this summer to the Mediterranean? No one? Okay, about four. Um, If you go out for a a journey on a boat, and let's say your boat gets stranded at sea and you're screaming for help, what they will do is they'll send another boat to come alongside you, attach itself to your boat, and then bring your boat back to harbour, back to safety. That second boat is called the Paracletos. The boat that comes alongside to rescue, right? Jesus said, I'm, "I'm sending you an Allos Paracletos." What I was doing in my ministry, I was coming alongside those that needed rescue, like lepers and tax collectors and adulterers and those that were pushed to the margins of society. Jesus said, I'm going after those that actually need a doctor. I'm going to come alongside and I'm going to lead them to a wide open space, green pastures where there's still waters. That's what Jesus was doing. And he says, I'm going to send you another, an alos paracletos, the spirit. When the spirit moves, he will search for those that are hungry and hurting. He will come alongside. He will attach himself to you Yourself and lead you towards safety and lead you towards salvation that's why we say come Holy Spirit because we're hurting and we need rescue and we need salvation right such an important prayer come Holy Spirit I don't know if you've had counseling before What is fairly regular in counseling is you'll hit a breakthrough moment with the therapist where the therapist begins to identify where the core wound is. Normally we go into therapy and we're like, hey, there's been this problem. I need a bit of help, can you fix it? It would be helpful if you could do it fast and if you could minimize the pain, that would be amazing. Just sort it for me. So we go in with that mindset and about three or four weeks in, the the therapist gently says, this is bad, I get it, but it's actually way worse than you think Um, because this is just a symptom and and this is the core wound. Um, And as they begin to sort of prod and press, they find the wound and what happens is there's normally a breakdown moment. I know there was for me. And at that point of breakdown moment, we're talking ugly crying, not dignified crying, like, oh, thank you so much for revealing that to me. We're talking snot, flying. We're talking tears, flying, right? Because the wound has been exposed. I would say the spirit of God, at least in my journey, was very much part of the counseling journey Right, the love of the Father is being poured in by the Spirit. Henri Nouwen says, love stirs up anything unlike itself for the purpose of healing. So when the love of the Father is poured in, all of the pain, all of the trauma, God says, I want to deal with that stuff, and I'm going to bring it to the surface because I want to heal and restore and bring life. Right? That's normal in counseling. Some of the translations describe the Spirit as an Allos parakletos, another counselor, another comforter. If Hi, Imana. There we go. Anna's phone is just kicking off. Hi, Imana. Do you play messages to yourself regularly? Hi, Imana. I'm planning in Cornwall. I've got this. You're a strong, confident woman. You can do this. I can't remember a thing I was saying. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. If that's happening in a counseling context, how much more, when the Spirit moves, would we expect outbreaks like that? When we say, come Holy Spirit, I just want to give language to this, as we invite people to the front, we say, come Holy Spirit, and we lay on hands. Often there will be tears, and sometimes there will be shouting, sometimes even screaming. Right. And I know some people, because of their background in the church, maybe from a more conservative background, will say this doesn't feel safe. Like this doesn't square with my understanding of God. Paul says in Corinthians that God is not a God of disorder, but a God of order. This feels disordered. This can't be the spirit. Okay, let me gently push back on that. I want to ask you what you think is ordered and what you think is disordered. From our perspective, order might look like everyone being very controlled of their emotions, you know, holding on to their dignity, not much display of emotion. What might look like to our eyes disordered is someone screaming, snot flying everywhere, shaking under the power of God, right? So from our perspective, uh, perspective, that might be the case. But look what happens when the spirit really begins to move. And we see this in the incarnation. What does God do when he takes on flesh in Christ? He enters the disorder and he does a reordering work. And it looks messy, right? As lepers and tax collectors and people are being drawn, it it might look messy. But there's a phenomenal work of reordering. When the Spirit of God lands in the room, the love of the Father is being poured out. Anything contrary to love gets surfaced. And what the Lord is essentially doing in that moment, he's reordering. Don't fear those moments. That's the Lord going to the deepest places saying, I don't want you to live with that anger or that bitterness or that anxiety. I want to liberate you. Can I tell you what I think real disorder looks like? Is a room full of people resistant to the spirit? pushing down their pain, saying, I don't want this to get expressed. Like, I want to hold it together, be strong, hold dignity, maintain order. I think spiritually that is disorder. And what the Lord wants to do is say, let me in, I'm going to do a reordering work. That's what the paracletos does. He comes alongside to liberate and set free. So the Spirit awakens us to the person of Christ, forms us into the likeness of Christ, does a work of reordering. And thirdly, empowers us to participate in the ministry of Jesus. Back to the narrative of Scripture then. Creation, created order, unraveling through sin. And then the new creation through Christ breaks in upon us. All of this is a work of Jesus In carne, Greek word meaning in flesh. Chili con carne, chili in meat. God con carne, Jesus in flesh. That isn't heresy, that's true to the Greek. So... God con carne, God in human flesh and the sin that led to created order unraveling is loaded upon Jesus who deals with our sin, overcomes the grave and rises to new life, the firstborn of the resurrection, firstborn of the new creation. It says, come follow me into resurrection life. So the story of God is fulfilled in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. But this is what we don't emphasize enough in the church, right? All of this happens by the spirit. All of this, not some of it. All of it happens by the Spirit. So the incarnation, the angel says to Mary, you're going to give birth to a child. This child is going to be the, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And she freaks out. How will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, it's by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. How does the incarnation take place? The answer is by the Spirit. okay. What about the cross? The answer is always going to be by the Spirit, just in case you want to participate. So listen to this. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, offered himself unblemished to God? So how did Jesus offer himself to the Father at the cross? And the answer is... By the Spirit. It's always going to be the same for those that want to engage. Um, The resurrection. Listen to this. And if the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, it's the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. But notice that Paul says, and that Spirit is living in you, giving life to your bodies because the Spirit lives in you. So how did the resurrection take place? Brilliant. You're getting the hang of this. What about the ministry of Jesus? All the signs, all the wonders. The answer is it happens by the Spirit. Paul says this of Christ, that who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be snatched hold of. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Greek word kenosis, meaning to empty oneself. So Jesus remains fully God in identity, but lets go of certain divine privileges that go with being God. Some theologians say that Jesus concealed these divine privileges. Let me name three, like Omnipresence. God is everywhere. He's here right now. He's meeting with our sister church in Finsby Parks and Saviors. I think he's primarily here right now, but he, that's obviously a joke. Love you, Saviors. He's everywhere, right? But Jesus, in his humanity, if he was in Galilee, he wasn't in Jerusalem. That's a limit. What about omniscience, knowing everything? Well, it says in the scriptures and Hebrews that Jesus learned obedience, he went to school. He had an education. He had to learn obedience to the Father, right? So when he has moments where he says to the woman at the well, I know you've got five husbands and the guy you're currently with isn't even one of the five. That's a word of knowledge by the Spirit. Not operating in his divinity, but as a human empowered by the Spirit. What about omnipotence, you know, all-powerful? Well, we know in the first 30 years of his life, there's no miracles. He's not walking on water as a toddler. Right? He's not crawling on the water. But when the Spirit comes, let's look at this. Um, Luke 4, he he's got the baptism moment, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And then he goes into the wilderness. It says he returned from the wilderness to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So it says the Spirit comes upon him. That's when the signs and wonders begin to kick in. He's a human being empowered by the Spirit. And that means we can follow Jesus as our example. A human being empowered by the spirit. He goes on to say in Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me. The word Christ means anointed one. What does the word Christian mean? Blank faces. It means in Christ, in the anointed one. The same anointing on Christ Jesus is on you right now. Jesus would be saying, go on, step out, be involved in my ministry. I've given you the anointing. I've given you all authority. Everything that Jesus does, he does by the Spirit. There we go. By the Spirit. Luke 3 then, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was torn open. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you're my son whom I love with you. I'm well pleased. Random question, but it's an important question. Why did the spirit descend in bodily form like a dove? Why not a robin? That would have been far more Christmassy, right? If that would have tied, you know, Pentecost and Christmas beautifully. Why does he come like a dove and not like a robin? Um, And to answer that question, let me explain a little bit of, of history. So the nation of Israel rebel against God. They end up in exile. When they go to exile in Babylon, they learn a new language. Um, They went in speaking Hebrew, but in Babylon, to survive, they have to learn the language of the Babylonians, Aramaic. Now, after 70 years, they returned to their land, but there's been a language change right? So when they return, the next generation speak Aramaic. And the rabbis, the teachers of the law basically said, we need to pass on our story, the Hebrew scriptures to the next generation. We need to translate the Hebrew scriptures into Aramaic. So they did that. And that translation was the Targum. And the Targum condensed some of the Old Testament, but it also expanded certain parts to illuminate key things in their story. So the Genesis account of creation, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That's the Hebrew translation, right? They come back with a new translation, yeah? And this would have been the translation best known by Jesus and his contemporaries. And in the Targum, the Aramaic translation, one bit of detail is added. Look at the screen. It's going to be a breakthrough moment for everyone. The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters like a dove, So in the first century, everyone knew the creation story, God speaking, let there be light and the spirit hovering like a dove. So for those with eyes to see at the baptism of Jesus, the spirit fall in bodily form like a dove hovering over the waters. Everyone knew, oh my goodness, the new creation is being birthed through this guy. Jesus has anointed pointed out this guy he's going to bring about the new creation recreation how incredible is that Jesus is being anointed by the spirit for a ministry of recreation and the spirit of god wants to fall upon you you are in Christ in the anointed one So the disciples, as Jesus teaches them in John 14 about him ascending to be with the Father and sending an alos paracletos, they were probably panicking. How are we going to continue the ministry of Jesus? Like the signs and the wonders. How are we going to do it? And Jesus answers, says, very truly, I tell you. In other words, I'm being really serious about this. Whoever believes in me, in other words, believes what I've been telling you about the Spirit. If you believe what I've been telling you about this alos paracletos, you will do the works I've been doing. In fact, you're going to do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. In other words, I've been operating in a very small geographical reason, uh, region. But when my spirit is poured out upon you, you're going to be sent to the ends of the earth. And, and you should expect signs and wonders to accompany the proclamation of the gospel. Like. Right? The deaf should start hearing and blind eyes should be opened. The lame should start walking. You should see the signs and the wonders of the kingdom of God. How? Part of the answer to the how is the gifts of the Spirit. That's why when we say come Holy Spirit, we expect the Spirit to empower us with gifts. So in the Gospels, Jesus is described as a healer, a teacher, a prophet, a miracle worker, a man of wisdom. If you read the Gospels, that would be your summary. He's all of those things. Notice then Paul teaching about the gifts of the Spirit. And he basically says, look, when the Spirit is poured out, these gifts will be given. There'll be a message of wisdom. Well, Jesus was described as a man of wisdom. There'll be a message of knowledge to another faith, to another gifts of healing. Jesus was described as a healer. To another miraculous powers. Jesus was described as a miracle worker. To another prophecy. Jesus was described as a prophet. Do you get the point? What Paul is trying to say is these gifts are given, they will enable you to fully participate in the ministry of Jesus. So why would we be suspicious about the gifts? Theologically, honestly, it makes zero sense to me. Why would we be suspicious about the gifts when Jesus said, this is how you're going to continue my ministry? So what does the Spirit do? Why is this prayer the foundational prayer of the church, come Holy Spirit? Because when the Spirit moves, he awakens us to the person of Christ. When the Spirit moves, he forms in us the character of Christ. And when the Spirit moves, he empowers us to participate in the ministry of Christ. It should be the central prayer of the church, come Holy Spirit. Not a prayer for the crazy charismatics and Pentecostals, a prayer for the worldwide church. The church was birthed through this prayer, come Holy Spirit. Spirit came in power and the rest is history. And we're part of that history right now. So why don't we stand?